Good morning. Have a seat. We are, we're, we're in the midst of a series called Unchained, and thus chains everywhere, to remind us, the visual, to remind us of, of a reality. Um, and the reality is that, um, that when we find ourselves in a story, oftentimes, not oftentimes, sorry, for all of us, that story begins with, with bondage, begins with sin. And we're looking at the book of Exodus, we're looking at the book of Exodus, and we're, and we're looking at a, at a story that for, for us, it, it's, it's one story that encapsulates all of our stories. That is, it's a story that begins with bondage, it begins with slavery, it begins with oppression, and, and, and it's moving somewhere, it's moving towards, ultimately towards freedom. And we're, we are right smack dab in the middle of it, okay? We've, we, we're, it's, we're looking at it over eight weeks, we've spent four weeks looking at it, and we're going to spend four more. But, but we're pivoting today because prior to this point, up to this point in the story, um, and we used the visual a few, a few weeks ago, if you, if you were with us, great. If not, let me, let me say this again. We set that God has been setting the table. He's been putting the pieces in place for a feast. He's been putting the, the pieces in place for a, a, a moment in time where, where his power and his glory just as we just sang, but where his power and his glory are going to be on display. And it's going to be on display in ways that, that those who experience it, that, that, that denial is futile. To deny his power is futile. And so we want to we invite you into this story and, and, and to look at it with us. And it's, it, it's in the scriptures, it's in the book of Exodus. If you want, have your Bible want to turn there, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, then Exodus. And, and we're looking at this story, and I have a confession to start with. Um, I've, I've preached this sermon before, okay? When, and teachers do that, preachers do that. I've preached this sermon before. Um, but the, the, the last time I preached this sermon, it was a few years ago, and um, I think I looked something like that. This, this, I thought, actually, when I, when I, I knew this picture existed, um, and when, um, when I went looking for it, I thought it might have actually been taken the day that I preached the sermon, but now I know that it's not, and there's a dead giveaway that I've got the flowers on there. That was clearly my Easter suit, okay? That was clearly my Easter suit. But, but actually, this is uh, when I was about 11 years old. Uh, they asked me in, my, in First Baptist Church of Pinellas Park, would you teach the Ten Commandments? I think it was about four minutes, so if I keep that pace, I've got about three more um, to wrap up today. But, but, but anyway, we're going we're, we're gonna to look, I'm just going to let you know, like I've, I've been here and, and preached this one. Um, but, but we're going to look at Exodus chapter 7, and, and this, the story, the part of the story today that we're going to hit is, is probably familiar to a lot of us. Even if, even if you haven't been around church much, you probably have some sense of the, the ten plagues. There's these ten plagues that come up, and we're actually going to look at nine of them today. Okay? It, we're going to cover a lot of ground. But, but the story of these ten plagues, the, the Israelites are, are in bondage in Egypt, and, and the, the Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, he doesn't want them to go because they're his slaves. And they're at, at this point in history, their entire economic system is built on on. These, this slave labor propping up everything that they want to do and accomplish. And, and the Lord has selected Moses. He preserved Moses' life when Moses was just an infant. 
He selected Moses for this job of leading the people into freedom. But it it takes a lot of turns. As Dan shared with us last week, it it twists and it turns. And it rises and it falls. And it's, it's not this straight, direct arrow. Like, there is no shortcut to freedom. And where we pick up today in Exodus chapter 7 is, is we're, the, the table's been set and all the players are in place and now we're going we're gonna to see that what God does, the way he begins to move to bring his people out of bondage. So if you've got your Bible in Exodus chapter 7, we're just going to read a few verses here before we move on. But Exodus chapter 7 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So God is speaking to Moses and says, I've made you like God. He doesn't say like me. He says sort of like a deity to Pharaoh. So the king of Egypt is, is going to see you, Moses, as speaking. But, but remember, Moses had this issue. When Moses didn't want to do the speaking. He, he felt like he wasn't fit to do the speaking. And so his brother Aaron came along and, and actually spoke. So God would speak to Moses. Moses would tell Aaron, and Aaron would carry the word. Okay? So there's this sort of distribution of, of the, the leadership and the, and the labor. And so, so, so this is the, what's set up. And here's what God says. I think it's fascinating because here's what, what God says. Look, do you see verse 3? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I'm going to give him, I'm going to multiply signs and wonders. I'm going to show him lots of amazing things. He's still not going to listen to you. Now, we'll say more about this this morning. But, but just notice at the outset of this, this mission, at the outset of what God has given Moses and Aaron to do, he tells them it's not going to go well as far as Pharaoh is concerned. Like, you need to go tell him, but he's not going to listen. See, sometimes, like, the work, and this is, we'll, again, we'll come back to this, but sometimes the work might, might feel futile, but we don't know, and sometimes it, kind, it just is. And yet, it doesn't mean the work doesn't need to be done. We'll say more about that, but keep looking. Still in, in chapter 7, In verse 4, he says, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So God says, like, look, here's what's... Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, and in order to to accomplish my purposes, because Pharaoh's not going to listen, in order to accomplish my purposes, I'm going to have to to bring out, I'm going to have to show my strength and my power in acts of judgment, because Pharaoh's not going to listen. God lays out the path ahead. Here it is. This is what's going to happen. And then we get this, just this little tidbit. Moses and Aaron are roughly, Moses is 80, Aaron's 83 years old, and We've hit this a couple times, but, but 80 years old is not young, right? Even in this, at this point, and especially at this point, 80 is not young. Moses had, had lived a lot of life up to this point. Moses had been from, from 
Early on, Moses had been God's deliverer. He was going to be the agent that God used to lead the people out of bondage. And yet it was 80 years before God starts the move. This, when we think about the work of God, when we think about what God's doing, we think about the time that he takes. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. That God is moving in his time. So, but Moses and Aaron, they do just as the Lord commanded them. Keep, keep reading. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Verse 11. Sorry. Then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. They threw down their staffs, apparently, and became serpents. For each man cast down his staff, they became serpents. And, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, what, so just a crazy scenario, right? Throw down the staff, it becomes a serpent. However many wise men and, and, and magicians from Egypt come in, throw down their staffs, they become serpents. And, and the serpent that of Aaron's staff swallows up the rest. Now, there's powerful imagery, right? There's powerful imagery. That the, the, the work of God can be mimicked, okay? There are things in this world that may look like the work of God, but in the end, God's work overcomes them. And we'll see that again. We'll see it again. So here's what I like to do. If you'll indulge me, and you don't have much of a choice, you're kind of captive. I guess you could leave, but... I want to walk through the first nine of the ten plagues. The the, the tenth plague is is so demonstrative that we're going to spend next week alone on the tenth plague. But I'd like to walk through the first nine plagues and simply make some observations. These are recorded in Exodus chapters 7 through 10. I encourage you to go read this section. It's fascinating. But we're going to pick up, we want to look at the whole of it because we want to pick up on something that's in the pattern. It's in the pattern. And if we stop and do this, if we don't take the big view of this, we may miss the pattern. So let's take a look at these things, okay? The first plague. So immediately after what we just read, we're going to have the first plague. And the first plague is this, that the Nile River turns to blood, okay? The Nile River turns to blood. Essentially, here's, in summary, God speaks to Moses and Aaron, and they're told to go and, t- and, and tell Pharaoh that this is going to happen, this is, that, that God's judgment is coming. Because you've ignored what, what God has said, his judgment is coming. And so they do. and uh, They go to him. Pharaoh says, nope, the, the, the request was, we would like to go out into the wilderness to make sacrifices to our Lord, to Yahweh, our God. And the Pharaoh says no. Okay? And because of this, because he said no, Aaron stands out over the river and he holds his staff above the water and dips it into the water and the water of the Nile turns to blood. And then it goes on to say, and kind of like all other water that they would use to drink. Everything that was in their basins, everything that was in their cisterns, it all turns to blood. The Pharaoh is, of course, this is, this is troubling, okay? They have no water. Now, his magicians come in, and they take water, and they, it says through their secret arts, they turn water into blood as well. And, and sort of based on that, Pharaoh says, huh, must not be a big deal. Okay? 
And Pharaoh essentially ignores this. He just says, whatever, so be it. My guys can do the same thing. That's the first plague. Only eight more, okay? The second plague, frogs. Frogs show up. I don't know about you, I'm not a frog guy, okay? Okay, I mean, I assume when you fry their legs, it does taste like chicken, but I've never had the pleasure, okay? But, but frogs, frogs start emerging from everywhere, every, everywhere that there's water, every puddle, every, there's frogs everywhere. And, and, um, and we repeat the pattern. Before the frogs came, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is going to happen because you refuse to listen to the word of the Lord because you refuse to let his people go. These frogs are coming. And so it happens. The frogs show up. Now, Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh he, 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 uh, he wants it to end. So he starts to, we start, he starts to begin this like, negotiation. He pleads with them. He promises to let them go. Okay? If you just make the frogs go away, I will let you go. But of course, predictably, the frogs go away, okay? and Pharaoh lied. He didn't let them go. Okay? And that's the end of it. And then the gnats show up. Okay? The gnats. There's a little bit of a break in the pattern. Pharaoh gets no warning on the gnats, at least not in the text. Moses and Aaron don't go and tell him it's coming. The gnats just show up. Okay? Gnats are a nuisance. They're annoying, right? But the way that it describes the gnats as covering everything, and everywhere you went, there were gnats. And something fascinating here happens. It says on this third one, the magicians come along, okay? And they actually say to the Pharaoh, the magicians themselves say, this is different. This must be from God himself, the real God. We can't copy this one, okay? And there's a whole sermon in that. But, I, but in a couple sentences or a couple thoughts, let me just give you this indication. Just as, just as we said a few minutes ago that there are things in this world that may mimic the freedom that God gives, that may mimic his power, there comes a point where they run out. They don't work any longer. The things I've been using to try and get the peace and the hope and the satisfaction that only God provides, they start to diminish and they, they, they don't deliver like maybe they once did. And we, you see this pattern in these plagues. And so, um, but, but so it says that they, they came to him, the magicians came, and they said, this must be the Lord. And it actually just says Pharaoh denies it. He says that, no. He just won't listen to them. Okay? He cl- like closed up his ears. I'm imagining a child, you know, with their fingers in their ears. And then the flies come. I think these... We're, this is gross too, right? But no, I mean they're plagues. Okay, none of these are great. Um, so, so it comes again that 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 um, Moses and Aaron, the, the 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 pattern sort of reestablished where Moses and Aaron are told from God this is going to happen. They go and they they tell Pharaoh the flies are coming. Okay, because you will not let the people go, the flies are coming. And um, and there's an interesting thing here as well because up to this point it said nothing about this. But, but in, in this section, when it talks about the plague of the flies, it actually says, but the flies didn't afflict the children of Israel, the Israelites. I don't know necessarily if that means, I think it would be very difficult for the Nile to turn to blood that not impact the Israelites. Okay? I assume then, because it, this fourth one, it says the Israelites weren't impacted, that, that also the frogs and the gnats had impact on them. But here it says the children of Israel were untouched by the, by the flies. And Pharaoh tries to cut a deal. 
okay? He tries to cut a deal. He says, look, how about you make your sacrifices right here? Don't leave and go out like you want to to make the sacrifices. How about you just sacrifice, stay here and sacrifice, okay? And, and there's some, some sort of negotiation that goes on. And Moses says, that's, that's not good enough. We need to go out. That, that if we make our sacrifices here, that it would have a negative impact due to the relationship between us and the Egyptians. And, and so the, the Pharaoh eventually says, okay, make the flies go away and you can go make your sacrifices. Of course, he betrays that promise. He makes the deal, but when the flies are gone, it says his heart was hardened and he wouldn't let them go. All right? And then all the livestock of the Egyptians dies. Okay? All their, all their livestock dies. Again, Pharaoh warned. Again, the Israelite livestock was spared. <clears throat> and at this point, in, in this section of the, of the story and in the plagues, it actually like, says that, that Pharaoh, Pharaoh just like, stiffened his neck. Like he, was, he just hardened himself. There's no back and forth that goes on. There's no discussion of this consequence. There's no discussion of what went on. It just says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right? So he, this goes on. He verifies that all the cattle is dead, that all the livestock is gone. And he stiffens his neck. He won't, he won't listen. And then boils. Ugh, right? Boils. Again, this one's without warning. There's no Moses and Aaron going and telling what's going to happen. It's just that the people are afflicted with boils. All the Egyptians, the Israelites were spared. All the Egyptians afflicted with boils. <clears throat> even, there's an interesting section here, even where the magicians themselves, now again, I don't know what this means for all the ones that came before it necessarily, but the magicians themselves, it says they, they couldn't even stand in the presence of Moses because of the boils on them. Okay? They're afflicted with boils. And he won't listen. He refuses to hear what, what Moses and Aaron have to say. And then there's hail. Uh, a couple weeks back, we had some hail that blew through. We were sitting in the car, right? Hail is scary. Those were like tiny little pellets, okay? This talks about hail that was so large that it that knocked over trees. This says fire from heaven. I assume there was lightning and thunder was rolling, there's this terrible hailstorm that, that takes place. Pharaoh was warned. He was told specifically why this is happening. Pharaoh, this is happening because you will not relent. It's happening so that God's power is going to be made known to you. Interestingly enough, actually at this point as well, some of the Egyptian people listened and took cover. Okay? Some of the Egyptians themselves were made aware of the warning, and they took cover. Pharaoh himself says, I've sinned. The hail comes, and Moses approaches him. And Pharaoh says, I've sinned. Please take this away. He asked Moses and Aaron to plead on his behalf to their God to make it stop. And so Moses does. He goes and he raises his hands to the sky, and the hail stops. And as soon as it was over... The scriptures tell us that it says Pharaoh sinned and he didn't keep his promise to let them go. The cycle is repeating, right? And then the locusts. The locusts. The locusts come. <clears throat> Those that are told that they're coming, they warn Pharaoh. 
But that, at this point, too, it's interesting because there's also, also Moses and Aaron are told by God at this stage. They're told that this is happening for a reason. Because it, do you remember what we, like, at the beginning, at the outset of this, we looked at this, this issue of, like, Moses and Aaron are told Pharaoh's not going to change his mind. He's not going to change his mind. And so it's almost as if in the midst of the story, God gives Moses and Aaron a little more wind in their sails. Go back and tell him. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what's going to happen. Persevere. He says, and God tells him, he says, this is, this is happening that I may be known, that, that, that everyone will know that I am the God, the Lord. So go and tell him. And so they warned him again. It's also so fascinating here because Pharaoh's servants come to him in the midst of this. This is pestilence, right? Like, like this is, this is the, the worst stuff. Pharaoh's own servants have come to him now, a servant speaking to the king, and they're begging him. They're begging him to reconsider his stance. Please, please do something. Do what they've asked. It's clear that you're on the wrong side of this. Would you please relent? The Israelites are, are a stain on us. Let, let them go. Better to lose anything that they're giving us through their slave labor than to continue with these plagues. And so Pharaoh begins to negotiate again. He says, could you, just, could you just send some out? Could like a representative group go out? And they'll make sacrifices for the whole. To which Moses and Aaron say, no. It's all of us. The young, the old, all of us go. Well, this, again, and even, even at this point, the Pharaoh is... Is, is convinced that his authority can't be questioned. It makes him angry. And so he, he, re, he repents, but it seems to be a false repentance. And as soon as the locusts are driven off by the wind, he lies again, and he won't let them go. And then without, suddenly and without warning, there's no warning that's given in the, in the text, darkness appears. Darkness appears. It's said it's such an oppressive darkness that none of the Egyptians, for three days, none of them can even get up out of their bed. They can't see one another. The darkness seems to even be a darkness that's oppressive in the sense of even, even sound. They, they, they can't communicate. It, 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 the Israelites are specifically left in the light. And once again, he tries to negotiate he tries to negotiate some end to this where he, he's able to maintain his authority and he's able to, to maintain his slave labor, but the darkness goes away. And predictably, when Moses and Aaron say, it's not good enough, what you're offering us isn't good enough, Pharaoh in his anger sends them out and threatens them and says, if I see you again, if I see you again, you'll be dead. Okay? That's the story of the ten plagues. That's the story. But I want to I take a look at something here. I want to take a look at Pharaoh's responses. 
Because an interesting thing happens. The, the story that we're looking at, the big story in Exodus, is, is the movement of, of God's people from bondage to freedom. But in the midst of that story, we meet this character of the Pharaoh. We meet this person. He's a king. He's the most powerful one in the land. He's the one that, that when he says jump, they all ask how high. He's not accustomed to being told no. And the Pharaoh seems to take center stage in this story. And the, the, the pattern that's developed for him is actually interesting because it's, it's not really a pattern at all as much as it's all these different tactics that Pharaoh tries to use in order to control the situation, in order to maintain the life that he had and the power that he had and the circumstance and situation that he'd become accustomed to. And notice all the different things he tries. He ignores the warnings. He lies repeatedly. Sometimes he just refuses to listen. Hand to the face, right? He starts to negotiate terms. If I can just, if I can, if I can somehow hang on to what I want in this and, and give a little bit, relent a little bit, maybe we can work this out. Paul even writes in the book of Romans, but he says this about the Pharaoh. He says, the the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up. It's Actually, it's Romans 9.17, but he's quoting Exodus 9.16. That's an evil trick in the numbering of the Bible. But for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, his story, was well, he was caught up in God's story. He was in the midst of God's story. And it says repeatedly about him that his heart was hard. His heart was hard. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But it also says that God hardened Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hard. And it was hard because God was doing something. God was on the move. This was God's work and it was God's battle. And Pharaoh was in the midst of it. But all throughout the text, it also tells us that that he made choices. That Pharaoh made choices. And we we find that, that there's this dynamic that exists in Pharaoh, that exists in us. At least, it exists in me. This dynamic that, that exists, when we look at these things, Unfortunately, it's easy for me to point my finger back thousands of years at the Pharaoh and say, you fool. But I see this very same pattern emerging in my own life. This, again, lack of a pattern, but a pattern of, of, of me wanting to hang on or me realizing that, that the, the path I'm on, the things I'm doing are destructive. It's causing harm, and yet somehow I want to, I want to hold on to a part of it Without the, make, but make the consequences go away. I think we do this all over the place. There's warnings left and right. We're warned that our, that our attitudes and behaviors, they're going to lead to destruction. And we have consequences that hurt, but don't ruin us. And then we, we sort of deny it. No, 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 that's not what that was. No, I, my, my marriage is fine. 
this pattern that I'm on in my marriage where, where I've got my marriage lined up the way that I want it, not necessarily the way that it ought to be, but it's lined up in a way that suits me. And then some warning comes along. And I start to negotiate. And I go, yeah, 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 but. I'd like to keep my marriage, but also keep the pattern of my life where I'm really comfortable. I do it parenting. I just, I just flat out oftentimes deny the warnings that are put in front of me. If you respond that way towards your children, it's going to have negative consequences in your relationship with them and in, in their life moving forward. And I go, yeah, no, no, no. My family's different. If you continue to indulge your child in that way, it's going to lead to destructive patterns in their life. No, 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 not my kids. I'll just deny it. No, 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 that's for everybody else, not me. I'm the pharaoh in this situation. Folks, we do this with our sexuality, right? We have warning after warning that if we continue to indulge in these patterns, that it's going to ruin us. And we go, yeah, no, but see, I can manage the consequences. See, I can, I can, keep, it, I can keep it under control. We do it with finances, right? No, 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 I can outspend my income. I can, I can not be generous. I can do that. And then these consequences start to mount. And what do we do? We go, well, I can manage that. I'll just... I'll just, I'll just kind of take the same plan and reconfigure it and apply it moving forward. Okay? I negotiate it. I, I lie. I just deny. We, we're Pharaoh. Like, we respond in the same way he does. And so we, we get back to this question of, like, what's going on in my life? My heart is hard in so many areas. And yet, I'm still responsible for my choices. I'm still responsible for what I do. And so I want to I hear just at, the, at, the, at this point, make a couple observations of some things that are going on. There's, I think there's two ways to look at this story. One is, this is God slapping Pharaoh over the head. But do we notice how many times God comes to him and warns him? You see, there's a way to read this story that says this is just retribution. This is just harsh. But there's another reading. Because before the consequences really get to a place where they ruin Pharaoh, and God finally and ultimately says, you're going to let the people go. He's given time after time. He's given evidence through the sign of Aaron's staff and the serpent that swallows the others, even before there's any consequences. He's given those things. And yet, Pharaoh says, just like I do, and I'm pretty sure just like you do, says, no, I think I got this. No, nope, I think I've got my life managed. Nope, I think that I can, I think I can move two steps towards God and then keep him at a far enough distance. I think we got this. But God, just as he was with Pharaoh, there's a gracious reading, right? He's gracious with us. How many times, let's be honest, how many times have we ignored the warnings that we've received? 
How many times have we, have we counted the cost of the warnings in our life and said, I'm not willing to pay the full cost of freedom, so I'm just going to sort of pay part of it and hope that it turns out okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take, take, take on a, a little bit of what God has to say because that's the stuff I like, and then I'm going to reject the parts I don't like. I'm going to negotiate outcomes. And yet the consequences hit us. And we get another opportunity. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I, need, to, I need to rethink that. Have we, I mean, it's, it's almost cliche, right? God, if, if you mitigate these consequences for me, if you, if you remove this consequence for me, I will never, what? What's yours of choice? I'll never, I'll never say those words again. I'll never watch those shows again. I'll give all of my money away. I'll, I'll go on the mission field. Like, we start raising the stakes, right? Just don't take this thing from me. But you see, this is all hurtling towards something. And it's, it, again, it may read like a story of just nothing but punishment. But all the opportunities that we're given are a story of grace just like in our lives. We get repeated opportunities to say yes, yes to the word of God, yes to where he's leading. This, this is faith. It's, it's, not, it's not faith or works. It's, it's works through faith. Like, I have the opportunity to say yes. I'm going to stop. I'm going to trust God that my life will be complete even without this, this thing in my life that I don't want to give up. I'm going to trust. And God is gracious. He gives us multiple opportunities for repentance, even as we repeat the same cycles of behavior. This is the God that we encounter today. This is the big story. It's not a story of, of, of primarily of God's judgment. His judgment is there, but it's a story of his grace. His grace is available. It's con continually handed to us. Will we respond? Also, there's something else in here. We ought to follow the example of Moses, okay? Think about, let's go very, back to the very beginning. When God says to Moses, God says to Moses, you're going to go and you're going to tell Pharaoh these things, and he's not going to listen to you, okay? It sounds like being a teacher, right? Sorry coach or parent or financial planner, whoever, right? Like, but you're going to go, go tell people this. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you. And yet, Moses and Aaron kept going. You know what I do? I'm like, well, forget it. Like, it doesn't even have to be 50-50 that someone's not going to listen to me. I'm like, it, it's, you know, there's a 10% chance they're not going to listen to me. It's probably not worth my effort, okay? But Moses and Aaron were guaranteed this is not going to, he's not going to respond. He's not going to respond in a way that's favorable. I'm going to have to step in in a dramatic way, in such a dramatic fashion, that he has no choice but to relent next week. It's not going to work. All of you are going to him. It's not going to work. And yet, here's the thing. Moses and Aaron kept going. Thank you, sir. May I have another? 
They kept going. Time after time, they went. There's a lesson in obedience on that, right? I remember um, the Burns family does not come from, like, long-term church stock, okay? Like, my family was not, my parents were, were church folks, but they came to the Lord as adults. And so, and so particularly my, my dad's parents, they were really locked in in some destructive, sinful patterns, okay? Destructive, sinful patterns. I can remember, I can remember my grandmother when hearing just even whispers of the gospel, the anger that would boil up in her, okay? And I can remember when my, my grandmother was sick and in the hospital, and it was, it was the end of her life. And I can remember my father being compelled. My grandmother must have said no to the gospel a hundred times. And I can remember my father heading back to the hospital again. And my, my sisters still tell the, the bits and pieces of this story. Going back to the hospital again to share with her again, Do, don't you know, don't you understand that your sin needs a savior and the anger that would, that would well up in her. But my dad went. See, it wasn't up to him to decide when God was, when, 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 when the, the line had been crossed and the person was, was beyond repentance. It wasn't up to him. It was up to him to go. You see, it's also up to us. We, we negotiate this, and this is, this is an area for us where we have a very unhealthy pattern, where we say, nah, I don't think they're going to respond to that well. I don't think that they're going to say yes. I, don't, I think there's a very low chance that they're going to accept the offer of God's grace in their life. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. But the reality is, that's, there's no, that, that pattern doesn't exist in God's economy. On the other side of the ledger, if that's, that's, that's Pharaoh-like thinking. I'm not going to get out. This is going to cost me more than I'm going to benefit from it, so I'm not going to do it. But Moses and Aaron kept going back, and we, we, for us as Christians, this is all about the Great Commission. This is all about what God has said to go and make disciples. Go everywhere. Tell everyone about the good work that God has done. Baptizing them. We're going to do that. Teaching them to observe everything that you've been taught. You see, the mission for us is the same mission that Moses and Aaron were on. Continue to proclaim the goodness of God and what he's going to do and his power even when our audience is extremely unlikely to say yes to it, to respond. We cannot measure our success as followers of Christ based upon the way that people respond. That's a, that's, a, that's a terrible measure of the success of the movement of the gospel. The success is in the faithfulness, our success is in the faithfulness of us as people to go ahead and do it, to say it, to not be ashamed of it, to let others know it, that there is freedom to be found if we, by faith, respond to what God is doing. You see, there's... The Pharaoh side of the ledger where so many of us live in negative patterns, but there's also the actions of Moses and Aaron continuing to go to Pharaoh, continuing to go and say, this is what the Lord says. So as we wrap up, just a couple questions to leave you with, okay? 
Come to, go to, come to a group this week, okay? If you're in a group, let's, let's discuss this. If you're not, this is, this is a week. If you want to start heavy, okay? This is a great place to jump in because here's the thing. It's not a question of, of our, do you have sinful patterns? It's which sinful patterns exist in our lives. What, where am I negotiating? Where am I denying what God is telling me? Where is that happening? But also, where do we need to continue speaking the truth of the gospel? Who, who still needs to hear it, even though they may have said no over and over again? This is, this is the call that God's put on our lives. It's the, it's the story in which we find ourselves. All right. Let's pray together before we celebrate baptism. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the ways that you work and that you move. I thank you for, um, I thank you for the gift of, of a body of believers that, um, that does celebrate what you've done. Thank you for folks that have said yes to you. God, would you show us, would you continue to show us the ways that, um, that you're at work, the patterns in our life that, that you've, you've died to make right? Would you give us would you give us your grace? And as part of your grace, would you, would you show us how to be free? So God, we, we thank you. We thank you for, um, for what you have done and what you're doing. We thank you that, um, that you're the God of the outcomes, that, that you've, you've established the ends. God, help us to be, uh, to be faithful to your, your purposes and processes. And we pray all of it in Christ's name. Amen.